Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasno. Today on the show, I welcome Elena Brower, yoga teacher, best-selling author, host of the Practice You podcast, and one of my oldest and dearest friends from my New York days. Elena has taught yoga and meditation since 1999, and her first collection of poetry, Softening Time, was released in 2023. And in today's episode, she reads selections from this book. Inspired by her poems, Elena and I reflect on the nature of love, the importance of getting quiet, the paths for personal transformation, and the practice of Zen Buddhism. Elena touches on the importance of self-awareness, vulnerability, and how poetry can serve as a potent vessel for complex emotions and truths. So just a somewhat humorous side note, I was suffering from a particularly acute bout of insomnia during the time of this podcast. And the night before the interview, I took a THC-based tincture as a sleep aid. And apparently I didn't pay close enough attention to the dosage as I woke up still very much feeling the effects. So thankfully this was an interview focused on poetry and not the Krebs cycle. Anyhow, if I seem a little loopy, there you have the provenance of it. Before we dive in, if you're interested in courses on creativity and poetry, along with functional medicine, nutrition, gut health, meditation, or Ayurveda, well, you can sign up for 14 days of free all access to the Commune course library. That includes more than 130 courses on spiritual and physical health. Just go to onecommune.com slash trial. And please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcatcher. It really makes a big difference. Okay, without further delay, I present to you Elena Brower. Hello, Brower, my old mm, friend. Krasno, how are you, darling? I've come to talk to you again mm. um, within the sound of silence. Um, it's perfect, actually. Yes, I know, right? Um, congratulations are due, firstly, on birthing your new book of verse. Thank you, softening brother. Softening time. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it changes my state of being. I would mm. say. Wow. That's uh yeah. that's a wonderful also wonderful testament to uh the completion of my purpose here. We, we could just <laughs> end the podcast right there. We're good. Good. Well, Thank you. As tempting as that sounds, I'm gonna press on. Thank you. Um so as you indicate in the book, you were always a voracious reader. I think you mm -hmm. talk about devouring everything from novels to comics to cereal boxes and you always um, had an affection for words so maybe just start there what is the opportunity that you find in words how are words useful well I think more recently I'm learning that words are best kind of kept to a minimum <laughs> Uh, that's a recent development, but the subtlety of uh, 
language and the way in which we can use it carefully is something that has come over the course of my life and keeps getting more and more uh, clear, uh, coming into more and more focus as I get older. Um, I can see mistakes I've made through words. I can see now the healings I've been able to inculcate in my own body and hopefully in other people through words. Um, so words, words play a big role. I'm constantly surrounded. I have piles of books around me always, and I feel very comforted by them. Yeah. I mean, they're potent tools for connection, right? Definitely. Uh, and, and you're an epic and articulate connector, always have been. Um, and, uh, you know, I find them as, as vessels for emotions in some fashion. That's nice. And um, such that we can actually share them mm. with others and, mm -hmm. and see each other's stories um, in each other. Yes. Um, you know, it's funny, even the title Softening Time is a double entendre. <laughs> It is. Um, was that a purposeful choice? Or I, I just thought it was funny once I was meditating on it. I was like, I wonder what she meant. Um, or was the point not to mean any one particular thing? No, it's two. It's got the two meanings. And for me, it's obviously time to soften. There were so many years of like hard charging, hard hitting, uh, hard focusing, hard going behavior. And it feels obviously like this is a really good time to soften and slow and listen and elder and take care. But I realized that there's also another meaning, which is I'm softening my uh, perception of time and my relationship with time. And I'm able to kind of stretch it and mold it and bend it and fold it as I wish now, mm. uh, which feels really nice to me. And then, of course, sometimes the random things come up that aren't you know, as desirable or planned as you just described before we started, but <laughs> the, the masterful way in which we can practice um, playing with time and being friends with time and knowing that whatever is happening is exactly crazily what's supposed to be happening. That's, that's also a level of maturity that I think is important in this world right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as you point out, there's never been a greater time to soften, like the moment has mm. arrived. Um, yeah. and of course, the opposite of soft is hard. So, you know, when things are hard, what are you looking for to mm -hmm. bring your life into balance? You're looking for softness. And, and, you know, as you say, softening is also an action sort of taking place on time. So... I feel that, um, you know, uh, our association can, with time can also be very hard and jagged um, because we think of time as scarce so much of the time. Yes. And we think about it as bookending life in some way, and that feels quite scary. Um, and, um, and this book gives us the opportunity um, to sort of round the edges of how we, uh, how we experience time, to sort of curve time's more jagged angles. Yes. 
There's a, a whole part of the studying that I've been doing in the last five years about, you know, impermanence and the reality and inevitability of death. And that has become very comforting to me. I guess mm -hmm. I feel something in my body and I'm just like, let's go get that checked out. And it's a little scary. But as I proceed through the years, I find I'm less and less afraid of death and more and more interested in making sure that today was a really sweet day, you know, mm. that it felt uh, full and whole and as I was as present as I could have been. Yeah, have you come across uh, it's kind of a, a genre of Buddhist meditations, I believe called Marana Sati. No, essentially it's meditation. Tibetan, right? Uh, I believe that's, that's right, perhaps. Yeah, um, Tibetan. They're basically meditations on one's own mortality. Mm. Um, I think it's mm. like Atisha, Atisha, I believe it was a teacher. I don't know. Yes, um, Atisha, yes. Yes, uh, I have come across those, and they are magical. And I wish that we would be taught them in high school, you know, college. Yeah, well, maybe this is a phenomenon of midlife, <laughs> sort of um, unpacking, you know, the ego, as mm -hmm. one might be lucky to do at a certain point in one's life. Um, yes. And uh, anyways, I want to talk about the first, the sort of exquisite, exquisite intention um, that you put forth in the book, it's actually before the introduction, it's just a little piece of verse that you write, and I'm just going to read it really quickly. Okay. At every age since love was a possibility, there have been thoughts unspoken, mysteries revealed only in solitary silence, empty moments becoming holy within me. These are the times to practice softening. This book is a journey of forgetting and remembering that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so sweet. Um, those were really, I felt, kind of set the chessboard for the book. Um, it's just beautiful. Um, Thank you. And, and, you know, of course, you know, as a reader, you want almost to I like be asking more questions than getting answers. And so immediately when I read that, I was like, well, when does love become a possibility? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, that's so sweet. God, that's such and, a nice question, actually. I mean, for you, how, how do you understand the nature of love? Is it a state or an emotion? Or, you know, when does it become a possibility? What did you mean by that? I think I, I meant that in terms of the love that we give, you know, so I see it as a very young age since love was a possibility to me means since I was like five or six and I realized that I could bring love to my parents and love to my sister and, you know, give something. It wasn't just about getting and, mm. and you know, absorbing and having to do whatever I was doing. It was really about that I could offer something. That's what it means to me. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that love is something given rather than taken. 
Yeah. Um, or that there's a, a sensation there when love is given and not taken that feels effusive and expansive. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Later in the book, I used a quote from uh, Inq, really well-known, beloved uh, uh, spoken word artist and poet. And he said, I was in a very intimate gathering with him and he was performing. And he said, love isn't something we feel. It's something we do. Mm. And I was just like, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We all need this reminder. Let's, let's put that into the book. It meant so much to me. It was in like five different journals, you know, over the course of <laughs> yeah. since 2010 to now. So I decided to include it. Yeah. There's little barometers for love. I mean, I often feel that when I'm experiencing someone else's joy as my own, that's like a signature. I'm yeah. Like, okay. That's love. <laughs> that is love. That um, is love. That's one of those qualities of heart, the undeniable uh, quality of heart that one practices and builds over time. So beautiful. Yeah. I, I um, And then, of course, there's this notion of mysteries being revealed only in silence. Um, mm. It actually reminded me of a time when we were together at um, the Donna Karen's space. What was that? Uh, <sighs> Urban Zen. Yes. And there was a, we were at a panel mm. and there was a woman, I think she was actually in PR or something like that. And she, mm. um, she had talked about really, really slowing down. And she said this one phrase that stuck with me and we were together. This was probably 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. She said, wisdom comes in the spaces. Yes. I was like, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Stop yeah. Pushing stuff. <laughs> um, the leaving things alone sometimes and letting things be, uh, brings me a lot of hope and clarity. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if you'd read a bit um, from the book. Sure. Um, that would be wonderful. And then yes. maybe we'll talk about them a little bit. But there's a wonderful um, poem called Patience, which I can mm. only assume is about your beloved Jonah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. Here, I'm going to find it. It's on. It's early. Yeah. Page 12. Here we go. Okay. Patience. I don't really need to contextualize this. It's so easy to understand. Evening finds me near the piano, dishes done, sitting on the spare chair, occupying myself with orders for kitchen supplies and a book on Audible, later than my son said it would be. He walks in eventually, taps my shoulder knowingly, feels more like an old friend to me than he did yesterday. We don't speak, he kind of winks, takes his seat and begins his whole body emitting Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata like he was born with this music within him. He delivers it with the patience of a much older man. The way his hands get lighter during certain phrases takes my breath away. Suddenly and without warning, my mother is present within me. I can smell her. Understandably, she wants to be with him right now, up close. I'm the best vehicle. She knows it. He finishes most of the piece, his promise complete, eagerly heading back to the virtual space where he's seen for different reasons, another prowess deemed impressive by his peers. When he catches my tears coming nearer, 
He's standing over me, his hand on my head, drawing my cheek against his belly quietly. Yet another door into the temple. <laughs> thank you. Thank yes, you. thank you, my Mary Oliver homage there in the last line. Yeah, there's a lot to uh, to mm. pull on there. I mean, mm. I think the uh, um, seeing ourselves in our children or yeah. feeling um, a sense of of um, they're almost sort of a barometer that we use for our own success sometimes, um, <laughs> and when they do something that is so, when they apply their imagination in, in ways that like we can't even believe, like there's sort of, um, it's almost like we don't even know them, but in the most enchanting way, you know? Yes, that's really well said. Yes, it all happened without you, this, yeah. this evolution. And yeah. you, you were there somehow, but they took that into their own hands and and it's a it's a really pretty magnificent sort of ungraspable reality of being a parent there's yeah. no control it's not your kid really after a certain point or really ever it's not your kid you know yeah i mean i uh i had an experience watching my daughter dance mm. i was late as usual to pick her up and I was like Shit. running and there's a big plate glass window in front of the dance studio, which I think is how they essentially market, <laughs> you know, everyone, every dance studio has a big you know, plate glass window. And she was the last one in the studio dancing, you mm. know, on her own, mm. just, um, and I became sort of completely lost in sort of her lostness and, uh, it was um, just sort of this very magical experience. And then, you know, the song ended and she packed up and I walked in and we walked out. And then there was a woman that came up and grabbed my uh, my elbow and I turned around. She's like, oh, you must love your daughter so much. <laughs> and I was like, of course I do. Like, what do you mean? Of course I, she was like, I was watching you. And you oh. were so transfixed. You were so lost. And of course, then she was lost in my lostness. And it was just, hmm. you know, this is very beautiful, sort of serendipitous, spontaneous moment. Gosh, I need a video of Micah dancing. <laughs> Michael Bones. I know, right? I can't even. Well, there, are, there are plenty. There are plenty, I guarantee. Uh, um, where do I find? I need one. I'll, I'll find one. I'll no, I'll it text, out. Uh, she, text she, me. She, she curates them, believe of me. Course, um, of course. Yeah, you know, there's also um, this bit in there, sort of music as a conduit, right? Like mm. transcending mm. time, location, space, and form, you know, mm. connecting. Yes. Um, yes. It's a gift. Music is a gift. The fact that he still wants to do it at all is also a gift. Yeah. It's beautiful. And do you have a do you have a piano still? I hope. Yeah. I have the one that that we moved from New York and he's got also in his room one of those really nice electric Yamaha situations. Mm -hmm. So I catch him on that quite a bit where he can plug in so it's not 
you know, booming through the house, but I actually prefer when he plays the real piano. I would take that over the Yamaha any day. <laughs> yeah, totally. Be upright. All right. Let's read another one. Sure. Um, volunteering for you. Please. Um, so let's see. There's one that's called Bell, and there's another one <gasps> called Library. Either one. I love mm -hmm. them both. So my grandma Bell, my mother's mother, was she was so keen to um, have me close to her. And we got very close toward the end of her life. Um, it was really sad how her life ended and I wasn't there. And this is me sort of owning up to that bell. What ties us together all those years remains a mystery. I'm not the eldest or the prettiest, but here we are unconditionally knowing. I rub your feet with the knowledge that I'm learning how to care for the first time. You're falling asleep on your couch, smiling. What you've always needed is right here, the follies of the upstairs neighbors, the price is right. My first taste of deep listening, of collaboration, closeness. 15 years later, I'm hiding on Gouverneur Beach while you're dying, but I'm too nervous to go and see. For the first time in my life, I'm convinced I cannot. Frozen to this island, frozen smile at dinner, frozen heart in my chest, grief relentlessly knocking. I hear you say my name in my sleep the night you die. I've never told anyone that. Sometimes I play it out in my mind, going further than what was to what is truer. Images well up like little confessions. I hold your feet like I did for your daughter on her last day. I whisper in your ear the endless love like I did for your daughter on her last day. I wrap you in the stunning and believable light of your own soul like I did for your daughter on her last day. Mm. Yeah, several of these pieces. Um, I took the liberty of kind of rewriting history where I sort of owned my part in the... Um, regret that I hold or remorse that I hold. It's hard to say which is which. And then I rewrite it. So that, that piece in the end, um, the images swelling up like little confessions, those are actually what I wish I would have done. And in writing it and in speaking it, I've spoken it probably four or five times, this poem aloud. Um, it still makes me cry. I need a little more practice before I can speak it without crying. But in speaking it, I feel like I'm rewriting history somehow. And she knows. And she, I feel like she feels that. And that is what should have happened. And now it kind of is what did happen somehow. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, little confessions, you know, you use that mm -hmm. word, that, that phrase. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I kind of put this piece within the parentheses of a confession almost. Mm -hmm. um, and what you're saying is, is curious and I think gives us a lot of agency because in some ways I read this and it's almost like in writing it, it's self-love, it's self-therapy that you're giving yourself. It's the, that you're giving yourself that gift. And, um, you know, it, it allows us to reframe our 
experiences with the past. I mean, we can't change the events, right? But right. we can, you know, change the way that our emotions and our body and our mind, you know, interact with those events. Yes. And, um, you know, in a way, memory is always being experienced in the present. Mm -hmm. And in a way, the present can actually make the past in the same way that a boat kind of makes its Kelvin wake. You know, we are, um, and so it's a different way, I think, of framing our relationship to things that could be otherwise be trauma-inducing. And uh, yes. I found that piece to be... Um, a quite useful example, I think, for a lot of people as they manage uh, grief and, and to some degree regret. Yeah. I have tons of uh, incidences in my own life where I wish I could have another chance to do it again. Damn it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and some of these pieces really do, really did, as you said, it gave me the chance. It's really softening mm. time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Um, cool. How about library? You up for yeah, yeah. more reading? Definitely. I, cool. I love this one for so many reasons. It's so nice that you're finding resonance here. Almost yeah, well, that's there. what I always say. Is like when you write the book, the stories are yours. The moment you press send, <laughs> they're everybody else's. Oh my God. It's, it's a little daunting. Like I've never done anything like this before. The other books I've done, however successful they were, were like basically journals where the reader was the writer, not yeah. me. So this is kind of a big vulnerable point here. Libraries on page 60. We walk in together holding hands until we don't. In front of us, the lady at the desk seems overly enthusiastic. To our right are all the children's stacks, books with letters too big and pictures too obvious. I've spent hours there, but I'm older now. We turn left instead. The metal shelves loom large, the ones for real people. Stairs, desks, and books with no drawings whatsoever invite me to come nearer, promising their mysteriously rich abundance of information, escape hatches, treasures beyond my wildest dreams. My mom knows exactly what it all means and where she's going until she doesn't. Just before she heads toward the fiction buffet, I tip my chin up in the direction of the desk I'm choosing, to which she smiles her impossibly welcoming brown-eyed gleam that still comes to me in dreams. She strides away confidently. We trust each other here. This is our place together where we can safely, triumphantly separate we claim our shared independence here, the only place where we can do that until years later, when we find ourselves sharing a cigarette on a porch at a spa in the sunshine, our second and final trip together. The joy of smoking, neatly lingering alongside the knowing that her days are numbered and I'll one day soon be motherless, but I digress. Sitting down at my chosen library desk to do homework feels like I've cracked the code on adulthood. She's all mine for a time, even though she's over there. Books are everywhere, worlds into which I can enter freely, neatly. I've got papers to write, but everything I need is nearby. It's here that I learned to synthesize, to cope with mountains of detailed information by selecting, prioritizing, 
hiding in my work like all the other adults do. Mm-hmm. Mm. So much in there. It's like yeah. it's amazing what you can do with poetry because you can you can literally just put the whole it's like decades of my life into a few lines and it says it all. I don't need to say more. You know. Yeah. I love the setting of the library as the backdrop of this kind of love conspiracy between yeah. you and your mom. Um, because the library, of course, inherently applies a certain kind of hush. Yes. And a, a kind of a quiet and unarticulated love. Like you don't have to say it. You know, the love goes unsaid. Mm. <laughs> it's very, very sweet. Um, that Gosh. that was your um, that that was your container with your mom, and yes. obviously informed your love of words and yes. writing and cognitive thought. Um, mm. You know, my mom was a painter, and so my early associations were like this elixir of, of turpentine and oil paints, mm. and we would be in this studio above the garage that had no air conditioning it would be like bloody hot yes man that oil paint was like a perfume to me i was like oh god i'm up here you know with my mom and she just Mm. painted and i just Mm. colored and read and nothing needed to be said (laughs) yeah 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 that says a lot i remember um the the few times that i've spent with her at the festivals and how lovely and earnest and caring and present uh she is so beautiful yeah um i know losing your mom was a inflection point Mm. in your life Mm. it was it was it was i was talking about it yesterday with somebody it was sort of like this like a sudden launch into a quality of leadership that I, I don't even know that I wanted. And it wasn't like leading other people, you know, it had nothing to do with that. It had to, everything to do with leading myself. And I was as unprepared as anyone else is for it, even though she was five years out of uh, a real serious treatment and we got five extra years, four and something. And then she just keeled over one day and was gone. Um, it, it started a, a sense of real self-integrity and dignity in me that I hadn't had before. Like now it's just me. She gone. And it was really uncomfortable. And um, at first it was really unsavory. And then slowly I began to see like, oh, okay, I can do this. And another day is coming and I'm going to get out of bed. I'm going to do this. I'm going to lead my life. I'm going to try and be a great mom. You know, it's really hard at first. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, the torch is passed and you're like, I don't know if I'm really ready to carry that torch. <laughs> Keep I'll your damn there. torch. Keep your torch. <laughs> leave it there on the, on the nightstand. Totally. Um, but, you know, eventually we have to pick yeah. it up. Yeah. You know. That is what happens. And if I'm honest, I can see already, you know, you've seen it with Phoebe, but seeing Jonah, he's getting ready to go. And it's like, take the torch, bro. 
Yeah. Take it out of this house. I don't want it. You know, <laughs> take it with you. Yeah. It's really unbelievable. Yeah. Well, these are, there's various rites of passage, you know, that happen throughout our lives. Yes. You know, and they're, um, I think, you know, the children leaving, which is a phenomenon mm. you and I are both kind of on the cusp of here. Yeah. Um, is, is a big one because, you know, this has been such a massive focus of attention and, totally. and love and responsibility. And, uh, and then, you know, um, when we have to take off that particular cloak of identity, that is such a part of like who we associate ourselves to be, <laughs> then it's like, who am I without that? <laughs> All right, let's find a few more. Um, okay. Let's see. There's, well, there's one sister that because we've talked about a lot of mm -hmm. different relationships, and then mm -hmm. another one called Trails Through Trees. Oh, that's All a right. sweet one. I knew you would like that one. Yeah, I love that one. All right, sister is on page seventy. Um, my sister is a year and a half younger than I am. We have just found our way uh, together, and this is also a, an example of the retelling of history mm. coming in at the end, mm -hmm. sister. When I realize I can, when I first realize I can help you, it's too late. They're in charge and they keep me away. They don't know any better. They aren't taught that the truth actually can be a precursor to freedom. So they persist in keeping us apart, opting not to involve me in the vital work of taking care of you. This perplexing abstraction of distance remains the most vexing circumstance of my young life. You're the prettiest doll I never get to touch. In the other room, just there, down the hall, five steps away, you even look like me. I'm equal parts smitten, forbidden, heartbroken, beyond recognition. I don't find the words until a whole life later. Helpless in my homemade barrettes, knowing what I don't know yet, feeling the presence of your separateness, trying on a sense of sorely unnatural independence. I easily focus through the accrual of time to hear the fraught, clipped tones our parents use when they try to make sense of this furtive cacophony. Your suffering, theirs. Their abject confusion slices through dozens of years, inhabits our cells when we try to make sense of the trials you endure during this tenuous, unspeakably painful early life of yours. Once you learn more, we're able to piece this story together. My helplessness leads to a lifetime of longing to be of some utility to total strangers. Yours matures into a tender, fiercely loving, loyal woman who knows precisely who she is and what she represents with utter certainty. You raise a stunning man in clear possession of the richest textures of loyalty, capacity, confidence, intelligence. He'll never actually know how much his life has meant to you, will he? Hmm. What remains are these patched together words to express the poignancy of my conviction. I only wish I could have helped in some way back then. And a lifetime of diligent study shows me a possible alternate reality. Pigtail rubber bands with strands of your hair there next to your head. 
I lay my hands on your small, fragile body, seeing you slowly to sleep. Your pristine, perfect face settles into tonight's version of peace. I quietly and silently walk myself home to my room. You, comfortable and easeful, everything. The pale pink carpeting, the steam heater that hisses my system to rest, the snores and finally contented sighs of our parents. I easily wend my way from one reality to the other, tears streaming, daydreaming it all into my body. Healing happens. I make sure you have plenty of signs. Mm. Mm, thank you. Mm. Thank you so much. She was born and she had a, a pretty serious uh, birth defect that they had to operate on when she was about nine months old. And it just wiped out any semblance of normalcy in our lives for the first, anyway, till I left. It was crazy. Um, we had these pockets of normalcy and these uh, real serious affection between us between our, our family. But then there were these moments where both of us were struggling against the this forced sort of separateness that we had when we were little. My parents thinking it was a good idea to keep me separated from that pain and me just dying to be of some service, you know, because that was what was natural. And uh, we finally sorted it out though. And she was about 50 uh, this past year she called and she said she'd gotten in touch with a small group of people who had suffered the same uh, medical condition that she had had and in learning all of the nuances about what this meant and how my parents had to manage it like with their hands for a long time we started to understand the delicacy of what was happening and the reasoning behind their choice to keep us apart. And I, we started to understand it. And then we just got like, you know, mm. closer and closer. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, it's a beautiful story. And, um, you know, of course the way you tell it is, is, um, enthralling, you know, there's a, there's a bit here where you say, um, hold on. My helplessness leads to a lifetime of longing to be of some utility to total strangers. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, how the adverse experiences of our childhood and those challenges so often become or transmute into our superpowers and are these totally. threads that weave through our entire life. <laughs> yeah. So this, this, relationship or yeah. kind of forced separation that you talk about as you know product of your of you know growing up in your family that also as difficult as that was that also set you on this path of wanting to be of some help of some utility to other people yes um yes so i just found that to be uh, insightful and you know just mm -hmm. self-aware um, there's a level of, uh, you know, thankfulness that we both have for the whole thing. Um, but it, it was really hard for her, like really a challenging time for her. And she, she's still unwinding it all, I think. Yeah. 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 That other bit about, um, <laughs> when, 
you're talking, I assume, about your sister's son. Yes, um, yes, that, I am. You know, you raise a stunning man, etc. He'll never actually know how much his life has meant to you, will he? Mm-hmm. Mm. He just graduated from Yale. He's a stellar individual. And um, he, his birth was very tenuous because of all this uh, health issue when she was smaller. So it was like the biggest deal in the world for her to have a kid and for him to be healthy as he grew older. And for me, this piece, you know, I think it's important to point out to our listener that this piece is, is my apology, um, as well as my, um, retelling of the story. Cause I, hospitals and doctors were so prevalent in my childhood that I grew up in waiting rooms. I, I, all the reading that I was doing, like, yes, my mom in the library, but that started because I fell in love with books in waiting rooms. Those were my friends. Those were my little friends on the shelf. Like, please don't take, oh my God, that book that I loved is missing. You know, and I would go to the receptionist, where's that book? Oh, I brought it home to my kid. You know, it's like, but that's my, it's my people here. Um, you know, there are ways for us to create now in real time that can serve as way as a as a, a bridge to the past to healing the past and in this particular one hospitals were so hard for me doctors were so hard for me that when she finally gave birth and the kid was in the NICU at the time I could not go it was the same thing with my grandmother I couldn't go I was like avoidant massively and stayed, I think I was working with a private client at the time in Long Island, out, out east. And I was just like, no, this client's very important. I can't leave. I was like, of course I could have left. You know, and I'm really sorry that I didn't, that I wasn't there for that very pivotal, seminal moment in his life. But I can sort of try and make up for it now with these words and, and my earnest kind of feeling about it. Mm-hmm. She yeah. knows that. Yeah, I think it's the ability to honestly have conversations around where one feels guilt or shame. Um, yeah. And yeah. Um, so important. And again, you know, words can sometimes be that life raft or that, you know, hey, I'm aware and I can acknowledge. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Exactly. And she feels seen by this. I, I actually submitted it to her over text first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Permission to, you know, include this in this collection. And yeah. she was touched beyond. I was so surprised. I thought, no, no. And she was just like, yeah, big fat yes. Okay, so we've talked about... Um, Parental love, sister love, mother love, mm-hmm. grandparent love. We yeah. haven't really poked at romantic love yet. So maybe uh, right. Right. trails through trees. Yes. It's so sweet. It actually, when I wrote it, I actually felt your kind of energy around. Um, it's about James, my partner of the last decade. And he's... Um, a real mensch, to say the least. I was always looking mm-hmm. for him. And I feel like the way Skylar had you, you know, I was always looking for that. 
that sort of um, it's so tried and true and so sure. And, you know, it's real, like it's not perfect. It's not, um, it's not the, the end all be all. It's exactly the right thing. Yeah, it's That's later wild. on page 144. I'm still looking for trails through trees. Sorry to be delayed. Oh, no, no. no, this one, if the book is softening time, I feel like this one is softening love. It uh, is, totally. Yes. It totally is. And he is uh, such a wonderful human. Such a relaxing human. Okay, trails through trees. This is for James. Cloudy November morning. Exhausted, Bowery and Houston. In comes your handsome, well-dressed, salt and pepper energy. All seawater and depth. Eyes, giving, yes. Your kind presence filters in. My mother will love your blue-eyed wonderment. Next chapter is handed down when your hand lands on my chest. Words are happening, but not quite yet. We wait for life to grant us our opening. I'll never forget your big paw on my heart, the feeling of wanting to start something. By the time we see one another again, you're striding toward me. I'm so far in. I invite you to bring some of your things. I bend and fold and mold myself to your kindness. Sobriety, deaths, illnesses, madness, creativity, impermanence. Somehow we maintain a distance, a nourishing mystery still softening. Moments string together. Life glistens across quotidian landmarks. The brushing of teeth, a nodding of tiny chains on bathroom sinks, sunshine on silent balconies. Fed, flourishing, private, seen. Now holding hands awkwardly on narrow trails through trees. <laughs> oh, they all make me cry, damn. Well, that's... Um, I can't remember who first said that to me, but uh, you can't move others until you move yourself. So right. That's good. Right. It's a good sign. Um, right. <laughs> what does what does the piece move? I think that's a that's a question um, that that person that I was just interviewing, Vanessa Machado de Oliveira, in her book Hospice and Modernity, she takes a look at wording and worlding and how important language is. And she changes the sort of questions that we ask when we hear a story. What does the story move? Mm, what does yeah. it do to time? You know, when I think about that with relationship to poetry, this one or any poem, it's like, is it, is it moving something? And uh, yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't submit mm. any of these pieces until they made me cry, actually. Mm. Mm. That's a good lesson for burgeoning, budding writers. Mm. It's like if you can sit on the couch and type out something that makes you laugh or mm. makes you cry as the author of it, as mm -hmm. the putative author of it anyways, mm -hmm. um, then uh, then that's a good sign. And then there's, that's a good indication that it's going to land yes. um, in other people's hearts. So, yes. Um, yes. I... Uh, I particularly like um, how you begin to describe the, the transactionality of love, mm -hmm. you know, as moments strings together and yeah. life glistens across these quotidian landmarks, the brushing of teeth, et cetera. I mean, and that, of course, is something I can highly 
relate to is like these small little miracles that pop up like waves on an ocean um, yes. amidst you know the dull care of everyday life <laughs> yes. um, and how the accumulation of a lot of those little things um, that may seem kind of transactional um, actually accrue into something deeper yes well. um, yes I see it with you and Skylar I mean your yeah. closeness and your willingness to go to humor and your willingness to like never ever give up so beautiful to me and it always has been yeah i wrote one thing actually this this poem reminded me of something that i wrote um or part of something that i wrote about the nature of how love moves into this transactional phase um and it's actually it's slightly um it's about me and skylar of course i'll just read it it's very yes, quick please Young, unruly, chaotic lust gives way to care, respect, and also distinctly unmagical transaction. No longer is our love the rapturous, intertwined passion of teenagers on a city sidewalk. We're more linked paperclips than a double helix, free to go our separate ways until the curved edges of our union pull us back in line. It's a bureaucratic type of middle-aged tenderness I love you. Pass the hole puncher. <laughs> yes, I remember reading that and weeping. <laughs> wept. I wept. I love you. Pass the hole puncher. I wept. <laughs> I wept. It was. Yeah. It, and you wrote that during the pandemic. No one yeah. all at home. That's yeah. why it was so poignant. God bless Jeff. You're gonna need to keep writing poetry, huh? Well, you're egging me on here. This is good. I just found that notebook. From the talk that I gave. No, no joke. Oh, really? I, I parted ways with it. I threw it out. I wish I hadn't done that. It was so sweet. It was a little Lululemon notebook. And I wrote the whole talk into the notebook while you were doing all the introductions. I remember it like <laughs> it was yesterday. That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember you being out there in that glorious, magnificent church. And mm. I think you were in one of the pews. And there was another other or some other speakers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember feeling such gratitude for you because you were really the first person that took a chance on us you know when Skylar and I had the wacky wanderlust idea and yeah. we brought it to you and you're like okay yeah I'm in you guys can do it for sure I'm there let's <laughs> so, do it yeah let's go to Vermont let's, let's go, go to Vermont. Squaw Valley yeah and we wow. did my god we sure did um we sure did wow. all right bring us home here let's yeah. see there's one towards the end of the book called mm -hmm. What If, um, which is... Oh, uh, yeah, it's a sweet one. Yeah, it's short. Yeah. And mm -hmm. a, I think a good bookend. I have it. You Did you know, by the way, that The Lawn, a couple pages prior to that, is about uh, Diego, young oh, Pueblo. Really? Yeah, oh, I, beautiful. I, I had the occasion to read it to him yesterday on an Instagram Live. And if you want to know what any of the... who any of the other ones where I'm happy to answer. What okay. if, page 156, what if your practice is an art form, not a path, but an expression? What if your work is to arrange yourself so that your seat reflects the simple artistry of your respect? What if every gesture expresses your present glimpse of enlightenment? 
What if you're here to develop faith in yourself, to forget yourself in order to remember? Mm. Yeah, that pretty much encapsulates my current experience of Soto Zen Buddhism. Mm. Meditating twice a day for two, for an hour each time and organizing myself so that I can be a portal of respect and uh, I'm gone. Hmm. Yeah. What does that practice look like to just, the degree that sitting. one can actually describe it? Yeah. Just sitting. Just sitting. Just hmm. sitting. Like that's the whole thing. If you want to really dive in, like check out Dogen. This. Yeah. This is like kind of one of my favorite things of all time. The Treasury mm -hmm. of the True Dharma Eye, which is a whole um, uh, collection of Dogen's writings, Shobogenzo. Um, you know, just to take up these teachings and to sit with yourself still and to come to know the ways in which your mind kind of veers off and then comes back uh, to be able to dedicate your energy to bringing it back and then realizing that you're actually not bringing anything back. You're letting all these things go again and again and again. Um, very, very helpful to me to forgive myself for things that I still am hard on myself about to be a, a more relaxing parent you know, ever since I started this practice, there's no more of the tension that there was in my house before it. So the, the, the core of the practice is just sitting. Yes, there are precepts. I, I recently took the precepts after studying for a couple of years, 16, you know, sort of ways to organize your time and your life and the ways in which you deal with your relations and things. Um, and then the next step will be to become a Buddhist chaplain. That will take a couple of years, and a lot of mm. study and writing, but I'm doing it. Wow. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens. Am I going to be a, sort of a, a death doula or um, I, have, I keep getting asked to speak to people's teenagers for some reason. It's wild. Mm. Like, what is that about? And I'm pretty good at it, just helping them see the you know, their way through, even though I have no idea what the way through is for these people. Like, what are they, what jobs are they even going to have? You know, how are they going to make sense of this world? I don't know. But I can help them make sense of, you know, their parents' behavior and what to do next and maybe a little bit of calmness in a really chaotic-seeming world. Hmm. So, yeah, I hope to continue to serve in those ways and probably other ways, too. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, there, there's a meditation that I practice sometime. It's a zazen mm. in nature. Um, it's called a, a half-lidded meditation, I think. Yeah, although I'm not what sure what the proper name is, but um, but essentially, you know, I sort of close your eyes halfway mm -hmm. and um, kind of let your eyes kind of lose focus in a way where yes. you stop labeling everything in the forefront of your awareness and it just becomes a dance of kind of shadow and light. Yes. And it's just incredibly 
playful. It's wonderful to do it if you're in nature because you have all sorts of playing of light on leaves and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you can really just absolutely float away um, with uh, this kind of experience and then eventually turn that same quality of attention inwards mm. and um, and in essence unlabel yourself um, and come to some sort of sensation of, of anatman or absence of self. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, it fills you at the very least with a great lightness of being. <laughs> at the very least. The, yeah. uh, the practice that I do that we do is uh, like 45 degrees looking down, half open eyes, almost closed really, but not closed. And what I found, I was super resisted at first. And then I realized, oh, 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 this is keeping me in the room. Mm. In reality, as it is, it's training me for these very challenging, you know, circumstances that are bound to arise. And now I really appreciate it. It was so hard at first. I was like dizzy from it. I couldn't, why would I keep my eyes open? I'm staring at the wall and this peeling piece of paint and some little bug crawling by on the floor. What's Mm. going on? No, that's actually just reality. (laughs) That's right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was thinking specifically about the nature of that practice because I think reading your poetry and particularly this book transports me to that same state of being as I feel uh, when I'm engaging in that kind of meditation where I'm just, Mm -hmm. I'm two inches above the ground, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful practice. And I think, you know, this book, to be honest, provides that same, that same experience. I mean, there's a couple of phrases here in this, this one that I was struck by. What if you're here to develop faith in yourself to forget yourself in order to remember? Yeah. You know, these are these kind of on face value, kind of koan-like, but really kind of once you sort of pull at it, um, you you know, you can get to a real teaching in there, um, which is really let go, of course, on some level. But you know, just trust yourself, develop faith in yourself. So trust yourself to forget the song and just play. (laughs) Forget the choreography and dance. Um, uh, Mm. Ellen Watts used to say, the purpose of dance is not to finish the routine. Otherwise, the fastest dancers would be the best ones, right? Right, Um, oh my God, yes. You know, the purpose of to dance is to dance, to actually bop, be the thing. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. And uh, and we have to trust ourselves, and I, mm. that's what I took away from from that. Mm. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's such a joy to reconnect and spend time together. You know, you're so masterful with the words, and and then. Oftentimes when I'm reading them, they cease to actually mean anything and I'm just reading the words. 
and it's as if they kind of transcend their own semiotic or symbolic value, and you're just actually caught. You're just, you know, you're in the stream mm. uh, of it. Um, in the same way that, you know, a mantra works over time. You know, it's mm -hmm. like a mantra might have a particular literal transliteration or something, but after doing it for 10 minutes, yeah. it stops <laughs> meaning anything, and it's just the vibration itself. And I feel a very similar... Um, that your words work in a very, very similar way. Yes, they're pregnant with meaning and beautiful turn um, and metaphor, but they're also just sounds, mm. the sounds themselves. Mm. That's good enough for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a good sign. Thank you. That's a um, some of the best writing I find myself. I, I don't know what it means. I'm just lost, and and I feel like I'm being carried. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah, it's funny how you we land on turns of phrase mm -hmm. that uh, we can't even describe the process of it. I have no idea how it happens. Yeah. No. It's like I laughter. Have, I know, do keep like, a lot of books around when I'm writing, but I don't know how it happens. I'll look at something and then something totally different will come out, but it will have been preceded by this whatever passage that I've just read. I, I, I don't know how it happens. Yeah, well, it often happens in the softness and in the spaces, right? Yes. I mean, how many times, I mean, this is just like a very prosaic example about the nature of consciousness, but like, you know, how we have the spotlight consciousness. We're trying to think of someone's name. We're shining the spotlight all over the place, but we can't find it. Oh, right. what's his name? What's her name? I can't, but it's still, I actually know what her name isn't, <laughs> which is curious. Right. And then it's like, oh, I can't. And then you go on a walk and like, fuck off. And then all of a sudden, Amy. <laughs> you know, right? totally. So it's just like, you got to give yourself the space yeah, um, and, and let it appear. Me um, too. Yeah, there's a there's a wonderful, I think it's an Emerson quote. It's, um, who you are speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. Wow, wow. And I really feel wow. that about you, who you are speaks so loudly, Elena, I can't hear what you're saying. Wow, wow, brother, thank you so much. That's so sweet, I'll take that as such a compliment. Yeah. Thank you. I love it. Thanks a lot for listening to my conversation with Elena. I hope that you enjoyed this exploration into the power of words. And be sure to check out Elena's latest book, Softening Time for more insights and reflections on life's journey. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It makes a huge difference for the show. And if you're a regular listener and you're inclined to support what we're doing over here at Commune, well, the best way to do so is to subscribe to the course platform. You'll access more than 130 courses featuring the world's top authors and thought leaders. And you can check it out for 14 days for free at onecommune.com slash trial. Of course, feel free to reach out to me directly any old time with questions or criticism of the constructive variety at jeffk at onecommune.com. 
Lastly, I'd like to thank the folks that make this show possible week over week, including Jake Lau, Megan Stone, Violet Augustine, Silvana Alcala, Wellington Gonzalez, and Ryan Tillotson. Okay, that's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and I am here for you.